Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 26 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest has been in this business for more than 20 years. He's been a mainstay in Ring of Honor for the better part of the past decade, and he's the color analyst for Ring of Honor Wrestling. He is Caprice Coleman. Caprice, welcome to the show. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me here. I'm ready to have a good time. Absolutely, absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Cool, so cool. I want to ask you, uh, the first question is, man, after a six-month layoff, how did it feel to finally be back commentating on Ring of Honor matches again? I tell you what, man, you, you don't realize how blessed you are until your job is, is pretty much, you know, put on hold, taken away, and then you, you look forward to going back to it. How many people can say, man, I miss going to work? You know, and the, the fact that Ring of Honor took care of us while we were away for those six months, we didn't have to worry about, you know, a lot of things that, that other jobs uh, have caused and put people on layoffs and stuff like that. Ring of Honor held true to their word. And, um, man, I was chomping at the bits ready to come back. And how blessed am I to be able to have a job that, you know, you want to come back to. You're looking forward to it, opening back up. And uh, it's truly a blessing. Now, did you have any, you know, we talk about the wrestlers, the guys that are in the ring and girls. Uh, did they have to shake off any ring rust? How, how is it for an announcer? Did you have any announcers ring rust? Or was it just like riding a bike and you just jump right back into it? Uh, I wouldn't say it's like riding a bike. I, I'm sure I did have some ring rust. Um, but the way we came back in, the way things are laid out now, there's enough time in between matches to kind of get your thoughts together. And so, and then, you know, when you're doing color commentary, you're kind of responding to what's going on at the moment. And so um, I'm sure there was some ring rust there, or, or I guess mic rust uh, <laughs> or whatever, but it was able to, to work itself out during the times that we were there. So the Pure Title Tournament has been getting rave reviews uh, from fans on social media, from the wrestling pundits. Uh, what are your thoughts overall? Obviously you had, uh, a front row seat, not actually in the front row, but you know what I mean, metaphorically, a front row seat. What are your thoughts overall on just uh, the, the presentation of the Pure Tournament, the matches, everything? I, I was excited just to be back. And then when I got to the arena and I saw uh, the production set up, the way the ring is set up, the way the, uh, I guess I guess you call it the Gary, the Gary Tron and the, uh, <laughs> it's set up. <laughs> it's set up. Uh, and uh, it, it blew me away because the production in itself was cool. And that's just from, from me walking from behind the curtain and seeing it. And then when I saw the action and I kind of got, I got lost in it because to me, it was a perfect production of turning wrestling back to what it was. And it was the sports side of it, the, the athletic side of it. And when I start seeing the matches in, in the heart uh, these athletes have behind the matches, it almost won me all over again uh, to wrestling, you know, and, and not that I fell away from, but it's kind of like, man, this is what I fell in love with. The 
art of wrestling, the, the pure art of wrestling. And I, and I really feel that's what Ring of Honor is showcasing right now. I want to ask you about the empty arena because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched other promotions and this is no knock on anybody. This is my you know, personal opinion is the empty arena thing. It just came off strange and weird when I watched other shows, but it seemed perfect for this pure title tournament. Yeah. I don't, because of the style on the ring or whatever it was, I didn't, I wasn't like aware. It wasn't like hitting me in the face that, wow, there's no fans here. And that's weird. How, what was your perception? I, I feel the same way. And the reason why I feel that way is there are a lot of styles of wrestling that really depend on the fans interaction to be good. You know, you, you punch somebody and the fans go crazy or you, you know, you do a, something illegal and the fans go crazy and the fans response is kind of what drives the rest of the match. But when you have pure wrestling, the wrestling drives itself and you don't need an audience because the focus is not on, this is good. You see what everybody else is saying is this is good. Look what these guys are doing. And you don't want to take your eyes off what they're doing uh, to pan to a fan or to pan to an audience to, to check and say, Hey, they're having a good time and you should be having a good time too. This is two guys uh, in the ring wrestling and the focus is on them and it's all about them. And to be able to draw and captivate an audience with just that shows you how much of an art form professional wrestling really is. Now, did you have to prepare any differently uh, because of, or get into like maybe another mindset because this was a totally different style and presentation? I think preparing for me was being familiar with the rules and with my job being a color analyst is just making it to where everybody understands it. Even if that's me being like, okay, what do we do here? just to kind of, you know, dig that seed so the fans can understand the rules more uh, and ask the questions that they will ask to get a deeper understanding and then making sure I'm coloring the picture well as well as what's going on inside the ring at the actual moment. Ian is the perfect play-by-play guy. His genre uh, is infinite. And so just sitting beside him, I don't have to worry about what move is being called or what he's going to do or stepping on his toes because – uh, I believe our chemistry fits well to where he's the play-by-play and I had the color and, and it just gels with each other. So um, yeah, that's it, man. Well, you mentioned your chemistry. I was going to bring that up. You guys do have great chemistry together. Is that something that you felt it was almost like instantaneous when you, when you joined the commentary team, when it was just, when it became a two man team of you and Ian, or was it something that you think you gradually had to build up? Uh, I don't, I, I'm scared to answer that question. I think you might need to ask Ian on that. For me, uh, I think it's just when you are around somebody that has a passion for the sport and and what they want to do is make everybody look good, sound good, and the viewers understand what's going on, it's having a like mind, a kindred kindred friendship. We have the same uh, goal in mind, and that's to make Ring of Honor the, the best wrestling on the planet and make sure everybody knows it. And so... Uh, when I was there, when Colt Cabana was there, it, it was all the same. And I, I believe Ian could, could pretty much work with anybody because he's that person that when you're beside him, you know that he's there to make what he's doing look good. He's not there to put himself over. He's not there to sell merchandise for himself or to get a joke in or to get a twist in. His job is 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 on that ring. And that's the same way that I feel with me. I'm not there to try to 
you know, uh, get likes or get this or, or get that or get somebody to come to a show, uh, you know, a show that I'm doing myself or anything like that. I'm not promoting anything else. I'm, I'm out there telling the story about what's going on in that ring. And I've watched so many uh, matches of myself when I was growing up in this sport uh, in a lot of places to where I'd be wrestling and I go back to watch the match and the commentators are talking about something that has nothing to do with the match, you know, and, and that's always been kind of like a, a thorn in my side. And I never was like, oh, I'm going to be a commentator one day. But when it happened, my goal was to make sure that everything that I'm talking about has something to do with the people in the ring. Even if, even if it doesn't at the exact moment, somehow it turns into an importance uh, of what's going on in that ring. And that's just been my goal. And that's the same goal that he has is make the people that are putting their lives literally on the line the center of attraction and everything else to work itself out. For sure. And I think uh, you make a great point as a analyst and someone who's been in the ring for 20 plus years, as, as we said at the top of the show, you can, you have a perspective that Ian doesn't have, or the average fan doesn't have. So you can give examples of things that happened in your career or experiences that you've had and relate that to what's going on in the ring and still not make it about yourself. And right. I think that is a, that's really the job of an, of an analyst. As you said, it's not to get Caprice Coleman over, it's to get the action in the ring and the guys in the ring over. So to piggyback off that, we've seen a lot of heel commentators in wrestling. I think to the point where maybe it almost became a cliche. You wrestled uh, for many years as a heel, yet I, you're not doing the quote-unquote heel commentator gimmick. Is that something, was that a conscious decision on your part when you started doing this? Or did somebody tell you, hey, maybe play it more straight and don't be, you don't have to be a heel? I, I think um, in my career, I've, I've been, you know, heel and face. And I, I think I'm able to call it in the middle to where if there is somebody there breaking the rules, I can say, yeah, he, break the, he broke the rules, but this is why he did it. You know, I, I think there's so many, there's good and bad, but then in wrestling, there are shades of gray. And, and I think even um, looking at some of the movies that are out now, if you go to like, I don't know, Infinity Warfare, Black Panther, or, or all these movies where even Joker to where there is a bad guy, but the picture is painted to where you understand why this guy is a bad guy. It's just not, I woke up and I'm a bad guy. It's a, a turn of events that happen, you know, one after another that, okay, this guy may not be the best guy, but this is the reason why he's like that. And so it's more like, you know, shades of gray um, that you see. And so my job is to paint the total picture because I really feel that Ian and I are the conscience of professional wrestling just like your conscience tells you what's right and wrong and it's up to you whether you do it or not and, and you you're able to tell that you know when you do something that you shouldn't have done you're like somebody told me not something told me not to do that or something told me i should have did that or i should have made this move or shouldn't have made that move that is the same job that ian and i have we're that conscious that's telling you pretty much how it is and it's up to you whether you believe it or not so if we're telling you this is the best wrestling on the planet and we're repetitive repetitively telling you that and we're proving it over and over again, then eventually you're going to believe it's the best wrestling on the planet. If I'm telling you this guy's all right, he has something to work on and maybe he's going to get it one day uh, consciously, you're going to continue to try to find ways that this guy is not great. 
you know, and so I've picked up on that and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to paint that picture of, of highlighting what is right and what is wrong. And I'll let the fans dictate how they feel about it, but I'm going to paint the whole picture. And I'm not going to be just on one side. If there's a guy that's, you know, a heel, I'm going to tell you why he's a heel, why he does what he does. If there's a guy that's a good guy, I'm going to tell you why he's a good guy. And I'll let you decide that part, but I will paint the picture for you. <laughs> Right, for sure. And that's, I think that's what makes it a more realistic presentation, which is obviously what we're going for, for sure, with the uh, pure title tournament, is it's not, as you said, it's not just black and white. There are shades of gray with these competitors, which does make them less cartoonish and more, uh, they're not just one dimensional. And while I did appreciate the style of, say, you know, Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura back in the day, where, you know, Vince was 100% for the baby faces and Jesse was pretty much 100% for the heels and their banter was entertaining. And we've seen that with many other commentator duos over the years. And, and I've loved all of that. But I do think the way we're doing it now, the way you and Ian are doing it, especially, with, like I said, with the pure title tournament, it lends credibility to it and, and a dose of uh, realism, dose of Colemanism. We'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I think, you know, Ian is he is the voice of ring of honor he all apologies to uh, bobby cruz he's a he's the other voice uh but ian as the voice of ring of honor has to be the guy who i think does uh call it right down the middle and yes i think he can sort of be the conscience in this if he sees someone outwardly breaking the rules he's the guy that obviously should call attention to it but right. i do think then as you said you balance it out because you don't have a dog in the fight you're not a heel. You're not a face. You're a guy who's calling it as you're calling a, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to love the guy that's in the ring, uh, but you, you can give us his perspective. And that was my long winded response, I guess, to basically agreeing with everything you, you just well, said. Well, the funny thing is, man, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, the black Panther, the, the black Panther was definitely about, you know, uh, T'Challa and him becoming the king and all that. Now he was a great guy. But if you watch the movie, there are many people that fell in love with Killmonger uh, because his part of the story was he was the bad guy, but he was a bad guy because, you know, the Black Panther's father killed his dad and he grew up as a single parent and didn't know why. And he had pretty much revenge on his mind, you know, so it wasn't like this. So if you're looking from it, uh, and I guess I'm going a cartoonish way about it, from a Wakanda perspective, this guy comes into you know, your world and, and he has nothing but, you know, vengeance on his mind and he's a bad person. But then when you come on it from an American point of view, it's like, no, nah, this guy, you know, you killed my dad and you left me to grow by myself, you know, so there's two sides to the story. So after that movie, there were, you know, Black Panther fans and Killmonger fans because some people could sit, you know, in that movie theater and say, you know, I'm Killmonger. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it's a relatability uh, that 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 Killmonger was given. And I believe there's a lot of relatives in the same wrestling perspective to where you when you have a guy that breaks the rules and you understand why he's doing that. Now, there's somebody that's watching is just like, yeah, I can relate to that guy. You know, I, I was pushed over by my boss this many times and I was looked over on a raise and I was I would snap, too, if that was, you know, if that was me. And so it, it paints the picture more to where people are able to identify themselves as sometimes the bad guy, you know? And um, I think it just broadens the perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of the classic villains, I mean, their origin story is they're almost justified for, there's a reason for why they, quote unquote, you know, turn bad or, or whatever. There's a reason 
for their actions. But then I guess the other side of it is the reason that they are villains is because they've taken it too far. Yeah. They're going about it the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I want to go back a second and, and I asked you about preparation. Did you change it at all for the pure tournament, but it just in general, how do you typically prepare for a broadcast before, before the pure tournament? But do you, do you and Ian speak with the talent beforehand? And let me, uh, second part of that question is, do you know beforehand what's going to happen? Do you, do you like to be smartened up or do you like to call it as a shoot and not know what's going to happen? I, I like to be a fan, man. I, I, I think a genuine reaction um, is a real reaction. And the less you know, uh, the better. You know, and sometimes if you know, you know how to paint a picture in a way to where you make the ending better, you know, by planting a seed here, planting a seed there. And so, you know, what Ian and I would do is, you know, I, I talk to the wrestlers, Ian talks to the wrestlers. Ian is more of a factual, like how long this guy's been wrestling, how many, you know, where did he come from, his his style or his, you know, his pedigree where he's been before and his wins and losses and the years he started and who's he trained with and all that type of stuff and I'm more of what type of athlete he is what what is he capable of doing his endurance perspective his strength perspectives his training styles and you know how long he's he's spent on his styles and what style he's using at the moment so Ian and I can talk to the same person but get different information uh, depending on our jobs from the same person to where if you interviewed a Jonathan Gresham, Ian would be more of this guy's real travel. He was trained under so-and-so, so-and-so, and he has different, you know, uh, wrestling styles under his belt and he weighs so-and-so and he's such and such tall and he's doing this and he's won this title. When my perspective would be, even though he's trained under these perspectives right now, he's using a Greco Roman style. And this is the move that he's doing for this. And he's choosing to have this uh, game plan going inside. However, being a pure wrestler, you know, you kind of have to take what you get and it's, you know, the ultimate game of human chess. So the outcome would be different, uh, but it's about the same person uh, with Ian and I, but it's just putting the full character in perspective. Right, right, exactly. And that's, that's, I mean, you've just perfectly described, I think, what a good play by play guy and what, what a good analyst want to want to bring to the to the table, to the announce table. Um, I got to ask you about this. I, 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 we mentioned at the top of the show that the pure title tournament has been getting rave reviews. You and Ian uh, have also been getting very favorable reviews from people that are watching this tournament, including from one Mr. James E. Cornett. Uh, how did you react when you saw that uh, Jim Cornette, I think, called you guys uh, the best announced team in the business? What did that mean to you when you saw that? Uh, I, I think somebody called and told me about it. And then I went and listened to it. And, you know, Jim Cornette is, is a straight shooter, man. He, he tells from the heart what he's thinking. A lot of people disagree with a lot of things he says. But I'll tell you why, and the reason why a lot of people disagree with what he says is because, you know, we're in a world now where everybody's easily offended, you know, and so sometimes Cornetta say something that may be offensive today that he could have said 20 or 30 years ago and everybody just would have taken with a grain of salt, 
you know, and so uh, it's almost like he he's he's an old school person in a new world, but he's not wrong with what he's saying, but it's just some people just can't take it, you know? And so for him to speak on us and speak on us in a positive way, um, looking at Jim Cornette, man, I, I followed Jim Cornette for years. I, I hated him when he was manager with the Midnight Express, didn't matter what version he was, and, you know, the tennis racket or whatever, because he was just that perfect heel manager. And then when he became a color commentator uh, at WWE, I admired him. Jim Cornette's wit is uncanny and it's, and it's really sharp, you know, and it's right on the moment, spot on. And I've always admired him about that, how he can say something and he can paint a picture of it at the same time, comparatively so, you know, and, and I've always admired that about Jim Cornette. And for him to speak uh, on us that favorably, you know, it's almost like one of your childhood heroes or villains telling you that, you know, you're carrying the torch the right way. So it was a great honor. Um, and it kind of started off with, you know, somebody just trying to peck fun uh, at what he said, and then he took up for me, you know, and that's uh, the thing on Twitter blew up about that. And, you know, that was even bigger, you know, because somebody had said that was like, you know, did, did Jim Cornette buckle down on Caprice Coleman being a colored commentator, you know, try to make it you know, like a, a racial joke. Right. And Jim Cornette was like, no, I buckled down on him being a great color commentator, like a real color commentator as far as like being good at being a color commentator you know and he says and i'm blocking you and when he, when he said that i was like you know i responded because first of all people look for reasons like i said to be offended or to start fires and i believe there's so many real fires going that need attention that when you draw attention to something that minuscule or something that minute or something that wrong you know, you take the eyes off the fires that need to be dealt with, you know. And so I felt that, you know, in my heart that I needed to respond to Jim Cornette and to that remark to let people know, you know, ever since I've known Jim Cornette, he's given me nothing but constructive criticism, you know, and, and been fair to me, you know, when his days in Ring of Honor in the past and all showing me nothing but respect. And I just wanted to make sure I said that because there, there are many people that, you know, um, because of things going on, they try to look for offense everywhere or even start the fire to bring offense. And there, there are real offenses, but the things that aren't, you know, once they get blown out of proportion, they can overshadow the real issues. And that's the last thing uh, I wanted to do. So I wanted to nip that, you know, in the bud when I saw it. And then when I saw it, he responded uh, again. And I was like, then I got to a point to where I'm like, as an entertainer, um, when I respond to a fan, you know, I respond to him and all, but then, you know, if the fan tries to, you know, hold a conversation, I'm kind of like, okay, I was responding, you know what I'm saying? I'm responding to be nice and all, but I, I am doing stuff. So I'm not going to hold a big conversation with you on, on Twitter or whatever. But when he responded that way, uh, I was kind of like, okay, here's where I shut up and just take the <laughs> compliment. <laughs> and, compliment. Yeah. and so I just left it alone. And then the rest just played itself out, man. But at the bottom line, I'm just honored uh, to be not only complimented by him, but him for him to say that, you know, we're one of the best right now or put us among the best, man, that's, that's, man, that, that, that's such allergies up right there because there's a lot of people uh, that fall under that umbrella and to be labeled uh, as one of the best, man, is, is a huge 
um, accomplishment and, and a huge um, reward, whether it's true or not, just to be put in that uh, in the name of those echelons. Because I was reading a reading a tweet one day, and somebody was like, "Who who are the best color commentators in the world, or whatever?" And people were all over was just listing these commentator uh, teams and all, and Ian and I were among these groups. And when I looked and I, I saw the name that I was tagged or whatever like that, and I looked at the rest of the names that were listed under it, I'm like, man, to be part, you know, listed among the part of, you know, Gorilla Monsoon and, and Vince McMahon and, you know, all these other groups that did it together, you know, uh, Bobby the Brain, Heenan and Gorilla, you know, and Jerry, Jerry Lawler. And, you know, it's just – to be among that is a big deal, you know, and um, I never saw it. I wouldn't have saw it five years ago, but to be part of it now, all I can do is just embrace it and continue to try to get better in, at what I'm doing and, and take it even more serious because um, I don't know, man, it's, it's an honor and I don't want to take it lightly. Yeah, just to uh, to add to that, the thing about Jim Cornette is you always know where you stand. And uh, like you said, Jim's a straight shooter. So it's high praise when you get a compliment from Jim because you know it's coming from the heart. And uh, on the other side of it, when he criticizes somebody, it's, it's you know, he's just as uh, enthusiastic. And, uh, you know, like I said, he, he does speak from the heart. And, and, and yeah. it's, his, it's his side of the story. You, you know what I mean? And it's not like what he some people take what he says and then like if Jim says is this or whatever and, and I take a lot of that too but then it's just kind of like it's, it's his opinion it's his freedom of speech it's just the fact that he has so many years in this sport that a lot of what he's saying you know I believe Jim's heart is for the betterment of professional wrestling the whole the whole in his whole setting you know so when he says when he sees something that he doesn't like I don't think it's more of I don't like it because I don't like that guy. I think it's more of I don't like it because it's bad for this business. It's bad for the sport. That if things like this continue to happen, the the impact uh, of the sport w- will be lessened. You know, I think that's that's the perspective he comes from, and he praises things that will lengthen the, the impact of our sport or that will help carry the torch uh, to make it brighter. You know, I don't believe uh, his his dispraise and his the things that he doesn't like is because oh I just don't like that guy or whatever like that it's more if this guy is this let's paint a picture of why don't just throw him out there or you know there's a reason behind it and most of Jim's reasoning is for the betterment of professional wrestling you know I really feel he has a heart for professional wrestling and he but he also has a mindset of how it's supposed to go and 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 I would say he's in the 90 percentile of being right. You know, it's just, you know, the sport does change and you have to be able to adjust with it as well. So like I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't believe he has ill intent when you don't agree with him. It's just where he's coming from and how you're able to take it. Right. And, and look, I agree with a lot of what Jim says. I disagree with some of what he says as well, but uh, that's okay. You know, reasonable, reasonable people can, can disagree and not everybody yeah. has to uh, like the same style of wrestling or, right. you know, can adapt to, you know, what's, you know, the uh, things evolving or changing. But the other thing that you, you brought out, which um, I'm glad you did was, you know, people getting offended. And to be honest, Jim has had, has said some things that maybe yeah. making a joke crossed the line. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
as you alluded to, maybe something he said in the 80s that mm-hmm. one would have blinked. Uh, today, you can't say it. And, and you know, look, Jim needs to be, I think in that respect, if I had to give constructive criticism, it's, it's not 1985 anymore. And you do need to be a little maybe more careful when you make uh, a joke that may cross the line or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that people got upset, like, I mean, how much of a, I'm just going to be blunt. How much of a moron do you have to be to think he was calling you a colored analyst instead of a color analyst? I mean, that just, that blew me away. That's just, that's just, like I said, you know, um, even with a lot of issues today, you know, and and since we're talking about sensitivity and all that, you know, if we talk about, you know, a lot of the movements going on today, they they focus on the vandalism and all that. And I, I disagree with the vandalism as well. However, if the vandalism is coming from somebody that doesn't even live in the area and sees this whole opportunity as I'm going to drive down the road a little bit and go to this rally just to mess stuff up because I want to mess stuff up and I have no, no, no foot in the battle at all. I just see this as an opportunity to be destructive. But when it's shown on the news, it's like, look at these destructive people, you know, and that's the same type of thing I believe this guy did. He was just he found an opportunity to try to light a fire that that he felt if he lit it, a whole lot of people would have got behind him, but they was able to say, no, nah, you're reaching there, buddy. And I'm not even going to let that happen. You know, and he, he took his, you know, 15 minutes of fame and he kind of made, made a bad deal of it, you know, because uh, it, it backfired on him, you know. Oh, it I, did. It's that old saying of better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and erase all doubt. all doubt. Yeah pretty much what this guy did but uh all right well we don't want to give him any more minutes of fame here so we'll we'll move on and we'll actually uh we're going to take our first break and then we'll be back with priest coleman right after this i'm Maynard the malt maker i'm mega the bard i'm andrew the barbarian i'm santi the bard i'm thea the wizard And I'm Tracy Williams, and to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Caprice Coleman. Caprice, I want to go back to the uh, early days a little bit, if we could, of of your career. About how old were you when you decided you wanted to get into this business and be a pro wrestler? Uh, man, when I, went, when I decided I wanted to be a pro wrestler, I was like 15. I started training when I was 18. Okay. But I wrestled all the way through high school, you uh, know, and then, you know, I would say I was in maybe maybe ninth grade in high school, uh, eighth or ninth grade. And, and what, what made me want to do it was, WCW had they brought up their cruiserweight division, and I believe that the head of their cruiserweight division was like uh Ricky Morton, um, Brian Pillman, Juson Liger, you know, and these guys were like the smaller wrestlers, um, but they were really good. And at that time, I was a huge wrestling fan, but I was you know, it's a small, always the smallest guy in my class or whatever, like that. And so, when the cruiserweight uh division became you know a, a big deal at, at wcw it kind of made me feel like i could do this thing too you know so i went from being uh, a huge wrestling fan to man i'm 
I'm going to be a wrestler one day and I'm going to be part of the cruiserweight division. You know what I mean? And, um, and so that's, that's just kind of where it came from. And so after that, um, I started training, uh, in the, in the 90s, I guess, uh, 97 is when I started training. And, uh, by that time, the Ray Mysterios and uh, Eddie Guerrero, the Demolinkos and all those guys, uh, had gotten to the cruiserweight division. And I, that's just, I was hooked on it ever since. Now you got your start in the Carolinas in Omega, correct? With the Hardys. How did that, how did that happen? Yeah, I was, uh, Man, like I said, I was a huge wrestling fan. I wanted to wrestle, and I didn't know how. Uh, and I wrestled all the way through high school. And I was out one day, and I saw a guy putting up, like, a flyers for a local wrestling event. I didn't even know there was a such thing as, like, you know, local wrestling events they were having. He was, it, was a, it was an event they were going to have, like, at the Armory or something. And I was he was he was one of the wrestlers at the time. And, um, and so I asked him, I said, hey, man, I said, uh, you're a wrestler? And he was like, yeah. And, and and then now at that time, so I'm looking, this is the first time I've ever seen an indie wrestler. And in my head, I'm like, he doesn't look like a wrestler. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? And so, uh, cause I've just never, I've never, I didn't know there was an indie, you know, scene or whatever like that. And he was like, yeah, I wrestle. And I was like, okay, well, I want to wrestle too. He was like, well, you can't wrestle on this card. You have to be trained. And I said, well, yeah, I am trained. I've wrestled all the way through high school. I'm I'm really good. And in my head, I'm like, I could definitely take you. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, and then like uh he was like, Yeah, but we gotta teach you how to wrestle, you know, our way in the ring and all that. I said, well, where but where do I start? And at this time, I probably weighed because when I graduated from high school, I wrestled my senior year in high school, I wrestled weight class 119. So I, I'm sure I didn't weigh 125 pounds at the time. I was very small. Um but I wrestled all the way through through high school uh, or whatever. Like my freshman year, I wrestled 103. My sophomore year, 103. My junior, my junior year, I wrestled 112. My senior year, 119. Um, and so I didn't have my growth spurt until after I graduated from high school. And so I went there the, the first day of training, and that's where I met Matt and Jeff, Jason Art, uh, Shannon Moore, um, Joey Abs and, and all those guys there and they were running an organization called New Frontier Wrestling Alliance. And um yeah, they I was too small to wrestle. Um they said they needed a referee and I didn't have money to like pay them to train me, but I was like, I'll referee for free if you teach me how to wrestle. And so this went on for about a year or whatever, where I would come every week and train to wrestle and then I would go with them different places as their referee. And then eventually, you know, Matt came to me. He was like, hey, I think you're ready. I was like, cool. You know, kind of went from there. And that, that by that time, the New Frontier Wrestling Alliance had changed his name. Uh, Matt had changed it to Omega. And that's where it, everything kind of blew up from there. So speaking of Matt Hardy, I have to ask you, would you tell the story that you told on uh, – I don't remember if you actually told it on the ROH Roundtable show that we did or if you told it off air. Okay. You, are you you know the story I'm talking about with the convenience store and Matt yeah, Hart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, long story short, uh, we had went to a show. It was, it was uh, me, Matt, Jeff, Jason Hart, Marty Garner, and Shane Helms. Uh, I believe was there too. And we were all like in a two car load. You know, it was it was it, we were coming from like a, I think a show at like a a baseball stadium type thing where we wrestle and then they have like a baseball game. You know. 
And um, we were on our way home and we stopped to get something to eat at a pizza hut. And uh, while we were in line to, to order our pizza uh, or whatever, these guys ran through the pizza hut to, you know, because they were running from the cops or, or something like that. And um, they were black guys and it was running through uh, the pizza hut or whatever like that. So then as they ran through, the cops ran, ran through too. And while the cops were running through, one of the cops saw me and grabbed me thinking that I was one of the guys that was running and was just trying to be smart, you know, and just stand in line as if, you know, I didn't do anything or whatever like that. So he had grabbed me and was pulling me out the, uh, the door and Matt, Matt and Matt and Jeff and all, they was like, no, he's with us. He's, he's been with us the whole time or whatever like that. They was like, no, he wasn't. He thought I saw him talking to the guys or whatever like that. And they were like stood ground and stood up and, you know, wouldn't let them take me. And all. and I just thought about that. I was like, man, if, if I had went to that pizza hut that day and uh, was by myself and those guys ran through that pizza hut, I, I don't know what would have happened. Right. I could have told the police. I'm not, I'm sure eventually I could have showed them my license in my car as parked in the parking lot, or I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. But because, you know, they would, Matt and them were there uh, and were able to speak, speak for me and say, no, he's with us. He's not lying. You know, um, they pretty much could have saved my life that day. But man, I guess that's just one of those things that's society today that it comes along with the territory when you're a black man, something that I'll, you know, people like me will never know. Uh, but I guess it couldn't have been any clearer that day. You're standing in line with a bunch of white guys and, and uh, you know, you're the guy minding his own business who comes in and gets grabbed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty scary, man. And I think uh, at the moment it happened so fast, it didn't have time to kind of, you know, settle in. But then, you know, as that night went on, it, my mind was just like, wow, this could have happened. That could have happened. This, you know, this and that or whatever like that. And it's, uh, it's, it's sad that it is a reality that it, and the saddest part is that it's been happening for years. And the reason why there is a big deal about it now is because everybody's a cameraman and the things that, the stories we've been telling for years about the unfairness and the, you know, the, the um, misguided or the deliberate, you know, violence or deliberate violence that we've been facing for rumors for years. It was just like, Oh, it's his side and my side and he's lying. But now there's actual footage and because everybody has a cell phone. So everybody's a cameraman. And so the fight is not, you know, now it's happening. See, look, the fight is now it's happening. See, look, and you're seeing proof and there's still nothing being done about it. So right. when you go from a perspective of, Hey, you know, this guy's hitting me, this guy's hitting me. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Leave him alone, Chad. If you're hitting him, leave him alone, you know? And then he's like, he's hit me. Here's proof. He hit me. And you look at the proof and then you're like, well, he didn't mean to hit you. And I mean, you were yelling at him, so you should have not yelled back. You, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, and 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 that's kind of the 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 battle that that we we as Black Americans are facing now. Not the fact that it's happening because it's been happening. The fight is is happening. It's been happening. Now we have proof, and we're showing you the proof, and you're still making excuses about it. For sure. And I would just encourage anyone. Uh, 
the ROH roundtable that we did on race and Black Lives Matter. It was yourself, uh, Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, Shane Taylor, um, Kenny King, um, all speaking about, you know, it was, it was a great discussion. It's, uh, it's up on YouTube, ROH's YouTube channel. I would encourage anyone, if they haven't watched it, to go back and watch it. It's a serious discussion about it. And, uh, and it, it's, it's one of those things that'll make you think and uh, maybe come away with a different perspective, perhaps, than you had uh, going in. So again, I just highly recommend that. I want to ask another story, though. I want to more, uh, ask you a question about another story you told me once about uh, your days in the uh, Carolinas, which is a, this is a, a more lighthearted story. It involved your mom getting angry uh, uh, with the manager of one of your opponents who was... I didn't tell you that story. Yes, you did. You did tell... How did I know it? You, you, I don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah, you ah. So now oh. you gotta tell, tell everyone the story. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's the deal with that, man. I, I had just started pro wrestling or whatever, and, and I, pro I didn't weigh 150 pounds at the time. I, I kind of was – I was cheeseburger pretty much. You know, the same size cheeseburger uh, is, is kind of the same size I was, and the guy I was wrestling um, was a guy – he's actually one of my best friends today, Sweet Dreams. And um, we were in the Carolinas – wrestling uh for omega and uh at this time he was a, a lot bigger than i was and he had a manager and his manager basically you know when the referee's back was turned you know she was scratching me or you know hitting me or you know scratching at my eyes or pulling my leg whatever she was just uh she was being the heel you know and i had invited my parents for forever ever since i was wrestling i was like man y'all got to come see me i'm good i'm they're gonna let me wrestle it and, and they would come and every time they would come i'd be refereeing you know what i mean and, and they were like well, i want to see you referee like you referee the referee shoot i said no i'm wrestling this time you know I'm wrestling they're gonna let me wrestle you know so so i go there and i'm wrestling and um and my parents came or whatever and the hill is being the hill and she's she's doing doing her job you know my mom you know, she she what she didn't know what was going on. She thought that I was wrestling for my dear life, and not only was I getting a tar beat out of me, but when the referee's backs turned, the manager's beating the tar out of me too. So she she just she came to save my life. That's <laughs> what she did. <laughs> and she so my mom, uh, the lady's talking junk or whatever. My mom says something too, but I don't think the lady realized that it was my mother at the time. You know, she just takes it as a fan. So she does her job. She's yelling back at the lady. The lady turns around, and my mom reached out and grabbed her and pulled her back to her. My mom was, was trying to get into the ring and all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the security had to come uh, and, you know, and restrain her or whatever like that. And I think they got – my parents got kicked out. <laughs> it's embarrassing because, like, they didn't know, you know, they didn't know what was going on uh, uh, or whatever. And, yeah, so – the wrestler stops the match. Uh, Sweet Dream stopped the match. Said, "You you get beat so bad, you gotta have your mama to help to help you out this match." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that was like my first year of wrestling. It was so, and like you know, hindsight is my mom's. You know, she hey, she she didn't she didn't understand about you know wrestling or you know the entertainment value of it or anything. She came to see her son you know, who had been a referee for so long, finally wrestling a match and, and why he's wrestling, you know, he's, he's, he's barely, you know, surviving with the guy that's in the ring and let alone the, the, his, 
his ballet on the outside is scratching my eyes and pulling my tights and distracting the referee. So she she had all she could take. <laughs> she had all she could take. Like, she's like, man, Caprice, when I watched you in high school wrestling, yeah. I didn't see anything like that. Yeah, she was like, they, they are cheating and I'm not having it. But hey, hey, that's my mom, man. She, you better not mess with me. She still jump on you. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it. Don't mess with, don't mess with her son. But, uh, you know, you could have smartened her up beforehand. I mean, that For might what? Huh? For what? For what? <laughs> I had to after that, uh, but like, so. but um, for a long time it was, you know, it was, hey, I'm a pro wrestler, so um, you don't, you don't, I don't know. There's a line there because it's not like you don't, you don't tell people. You just, you, it is what it is. You know what I mean? And um, and so no, I didn't say, hey, this is that. And I just knew I was wrestling. I didn't tell her who I was wrestling or what or whatever. And um. Yeah, man. So she's smart now. And even now she'd be like, she'd be like, I don't know. I think with so-and-so, they meant to do that. They meant, I don't believe that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Glad we still got you hooked there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have really smartened her up and told her, yeah, you know, sometimes they do take liberties in the ring. Yeah. I did. I, I did, but I just, you know, I just kind of, I don't Mom's going to be mom, man. And, and, I, and there's a thing, you know, even with family members, even with my son, you know, I could watch him at wrestling practice. And, and and I'm in the sport, you know, and I could see him getting his tail whooped and I'm like, Ugh! you know, and and I'm and I'm and I know what's going on. You know what I mean? So I, I can only imagine how my mom feel felt not being smart enough on it, you know. So, yeah, it, it was funny, man. I, matter of fact, uh, sometimes my mom would come visit or, or whatever like that and sweet dreams would come by and, and he'd be like, OK, I'll come in peace now. I come in peace. <laughs> and they. they they still laugh about the day. So, yes, it's funny. Oh, that, that's an awesome story. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about uh, your first – you've really had two runs in Ring of Honor. The first one was back in 2004. You'd been on the indie scene for several years. How did you get that opportunity with Ring of Honor in 2004? And what are your, what are your memories from those early days? Oh, man, um, I, around 2004, before then, I was at this place called NWA Wildside down in Georgia – and um, Cornelia, Georgia, and it was where AJ Styles came from. Uh, Ron Killings came, what, what's his name, K-Crush. Um, what do they call him in WWE? R-Truth. R-Truth come from. Uh, Stone Mountain, which is Abyss. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of guys come from the NWA Wild, wild Side era. And um, I was there in Ring of Honor. You know, they kind of they got wind of of uh nwa wild side and they would send some of their guys the briscoes came down there delirious matt seidel um they were just they were just kind of rotating talent um crazy amazing red and the sat spanish announced team and all it was just guys that were coming through and so they showed interest in me and a few other guys there and so we were never like signed. It's just, you know, that we were brought in multiple times with the understanding that if we stood out, you know, we something could happen. Um, and there were, you know, a couple of times where we thought something would happen. But I think it mostly happened, I think, with Jimmy Rave uh, at that time. But for us, it was more on, you know, a per appearance uh, type thing. I know that a few years after that, you ended up uh, leaving the country, right? You were yeah. living in kuwait for 
what was it, a couple years, two years, three years? Three years, three years. Yeah. And, and that what happened there is, you know, like I said, I had been wrestling for a while um, from 97 to, to 2004. Um, and uh, 2000, well, I'm going to say 2006 because of the story. And so there were times to where I'm working with WWE, I'm working with, you know, uh, Ring of Honor and TNA and, and all these places and nothing's happening. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a spot here, I'm doing a spot there. And, and there's a whole lot of stories, you know, that I, I can go into with that and how the wrestling business is or whatever like that. But to make a long story short, the bottom line is, you know, I was on the radar of everybody, but nothing ever happened. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I was getting frustrated um, because I, you know, they would say, Hey, if you gain weight, I gain weight. Hey, if you do this, hey. the same, the same road, everybody goes down, you know? And so <clears throat> I went to go get uh, a hot dog one day, man. And, and, um, and here I am this wrestler that everybody knows, I guess this local celebrity or whatever like that. And my bank account was on negative because I think the IRS that came after me about some student loans or, or, or something, a credit card or something that came about, you know, and I was like, I got mad because I'm like, they, they had went to my, and it's all my fault. You know, this is all my fault. Uh, they had finally, I guess, went to my account and took all the money out of my account. And I didn't realize it until I was at like a gas station to get a hot dog or, or something. And I was like, man, you know, I need to get like a, a real job. And I was working, I was working then, but, right at that time my cousin she was working overseas in like iraq and different places like that and she had came home to visit and she told me they were looking for you know more civilians to work overseas and you know do civilian type jobs for the military and it was just perfect timing to where you know i, I was at a rock bottom place and you know nothing was happening where it was happening with, but it wasn't happening the way i wanted it to you know what I'm saying? I felt like I was being sent in a circle time and time again, you know? And so the opportunity came for me to go overseas and the money was right. And it was like, you know, basically you just, you get paid and your, your living expenses and everything is light is take and everything alike is taken care of, you know, and, and you get paid. And so I took that opportunity for three years, man, and went over there. And when I went, uh, honestly, when I left to go to Kuwait, um, my body was beat up, man. My knees were bad. My back was bad. It was just, you know, that 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 race of trying to get signed, trying to get attention, trying to, you know, make something happen. And you're just beating your body up, praying one day it's going to be worth it all. And um, and it, it just didn't pan out that way. But then when I went overseas, the first year I was there, I still worked out and everything. And then like maybe a year and a half in, you know, I'm going into the gym and, and military guys are coming to me looking for advice of how to get more shape, how to get better and all that. And I realized that all the ailments that I had um, beforehand had healed up, you know. So here I am in, in the best shape of my life overseas and I can't wrestle. So I wanted to wrestle and I tried to get wrestling um, started in Kuwait. I tried to start like my own <laughs> organization <laughs> indie circuit there or whatever, but it was illegal because of. Uh, something that happened in the late 90s with Big Van Bader. He interviewed one of the uh, talk show hosts there. One of the talk show hosts interviewed him, and Big Van Bader, like, hit him or choked him or punked him out. You know what I'm like? So they made wrestling illegal there. I and, remember that. Vader yeah. got detained, I think, and, and couldn't leave for a while. Yep. Yeah, and so that was legit. And so they had banned wrestling there. 
And so I had got far enough to realize that, you know, I wasn't important enough to start anything there. However, the timing there um, locked in place to where somebody else uh, that was a, a lot more richer than I was, because I wasn't rich at all. I was just a regular working person there. But there was like one of the shakes or, or whatever there was trying to get the band lifted himself because he had a wrestling crew he wanted to bring to Kuwait to do like a big show or whatever. And so uh, they had put me in contact with these people. They was like, here's a guy that's in Kuwait wanting to wrestle and you guys are wanting to bring wrestling to Kuwait. Maybe y'all could figure something out together or whatever. And so these guys ended up getting the band lifted for the show to come. And they, they asked me if I wanted to be on the card. I was like, yeah, you know, and, and I was able to do pro wrestling in Kuwait. And that's when they brought in a lot of, that's where I met PCO at PCO was on that tour. Um, Gangrel was on that tour. Um, a, a lot of older guys, I, I, I don't want to list too many names, but, but, uh, I would say Sanjay Dutt was on one of the tours, Matt Cross, uh, man, just so many guys I met there and it was part of this overseas thing or whatever. And the matches, that I had on the tour went so well that they was like, you know, anytime we do something, we'll bring you back. And I was like, well, I'm getting ready to go back to the States to start wrestling again. You know, and it was like, well, you know, when we have something, we'll let you know. And that's one of the reasons now I still, I still go to Qatar, I still go to, you know, Bahrain or Dubai, wherever they have any wrestling matches at. And, um, and I still wrestled there uh, from time to time. Actually one of their champions now, the King of the Lavish champion, uh, or whatever. So that all happened with me going to Kuwait really to get away from wrestling and end up falling in, back in love with it and becoming an international wrestler wow. coming back to the States. That's, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, I guess just a, an amazing life experience, I guess, to be there spending three, three years there. What did you, other than the wrestling, what did you do specifically? There? I worked in logistics. Um, I worked in the personal property shipping office. Basically um, I supervised, uh, Okay, to explain it, soldiers, when they move from O'Connor to Connor, so from out of country to country or whatever, there's certain rules and guidelines of personal effects that they could bring, you know. So depending on whether you're enlisted or whether you are, um, you know, uh, an officer, it depends on your rank, depends on how much weight you could bring. So if you're like an enlisted person or whatever like that, you might have, you know, 500 or 300 pounds of personal effects you could bring, which is like your clothes, your you know, your PlayStation, uh, you know, stuff like that. And the higher your ranking, it can go from clothes to a car, you know, to furniture or whatever like that. And the personal property shipping office, we hired, uh, we had moving companies that work for us. And we would just like, you know, hire the best moving company for that soldier to, uh, to get their personal effects and bring it in, we had a crew that would inspect the personal effects, make sure nothing illegal was coming in or, or going out of the country. And um, and by my the end of my tenure there, uh, I was supervisor of that department. And then I also worked in the chapel, but uh, as one of the ministers, but I wasn't through the military. It was just the military has church services and I was part of the church service. And I had, I was one of the ministers at the service. You know, and I worked in the music department as, I mean, as you know, um, I, I'm really into music as well. And so uh, that was what I did there. So I worked as, I worked under the chaplains, uh, under a few chaplains there while I 
while I was in Kuwait um, and mostly in the music department uh, for the military in Kuwait when I was there. So you eventually come back and you get a job in 2011 or you start working with Ring of Honor in 2011 and basically you've been around uh, ever since. One of the first things you did, you formed the tag team with Cedric Alexander. I'm sure ROH fans remember CNC Wrestle Factory. Did you know Cedric before Ring of Honor? Uh, whose idea was it to put you guys together? The way that happened was, uh, it's, man, that's not, these stories, man, they're long stories. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> we got time, brother. The, the, the way I met Cedric was when I got back in country, I was back in North Carolina, and, um, and I pretty much called all the promoters, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm back in country or whatever. And I, I called NWA Wildside and, you know, the different places I was. And I was like, oh, they was like, oh, welcome back Caprice Coleman or whatever. But then they're indie, indie promoters as well. And I was like, oh, welcome back. You know, uh, when we have a show, we'll let you know we got this show going. I was like, all right, cool. Just let me know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And so I would go and then different promoters would call and then we would get to the price part of how much I charge or, or whatever. And I would tell them my price or you know what i what i need to get there or whatever like that and i was constantly hit well we could get cedric alexander for such and such we could get cedric alexander for such and such and i was like who is cedric alexander <laughs> you know like who is this kid taking my bookings you know and uh not really taking my bookings but it was kind of like you know there there's this young guy that since you left there's this young guy here that's tearing up the scene he was changed by trained by george south and he's amazing and you know and he just wants to wrestle you know and so here i am kind of somebody that's you know already uh paid my dues or wherever coming back to wrestle and they're like yeah but well, this guy's really good and we can get him for this price we would <laughs> we, we would rather use him or you know if you could come for this price that'd be great you know, and so I just never knew who this guy was. And then I was booked on a show with him, um, with my brother, Sweet Dreams and all. And I saw that Cedric was on the show. I said, I want to see what this guy's about. You know, so I had my match and then Cedric has his. And I see him and he's this guy, you know, close cut all around. Nice guy, shook his hand, he shook mine or whatever. And as soon as his music starts to wrestling, my brother and I, we're like at the curtains. I'm like, I want to see what this guy's about. 30 seconds in, my mind is blown. His mind is blown. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. He's he just got it. He has he has it. He's just nobody knows who he is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so, so we would go to, uh, so then NWA was doing a lot of seminars. It would Harley Race seminars, Ricky Steamboat seminars, and uh, George South seminars and all. And I never got to a point in wrestling where I felt like I knew everything. So if I, anytime I saw a seminar, less stature seminars, I would sign up for them. And so I would sign up for the seminars and every seminar I was at, he was there as well because a lot of the seminars were part of the high spots program with George South and all of that. So he was at all of the seminars as well. And the seminar would always end off with a big show somewhere, you know, it'd be like a three day seminar, but the main show was going to be, you know, in the same town uh, or whatever. And so uh, we would see each other. We would pick at each other like, man, you know, we got we got to start showing up at the same place. So they're going to make us a tag team. And so uh, if we get there, I'd be like, okay, I was here first. So you got to go to the other locker room, you know, and uh, we would just pick at each other like that. And um, ring of honor called us and they, they found out I was back in country or whatever. And they said, Hey, we got this thing 
that we might be getting bought out by a TV station a production company and um, we're going to be bringing some more athletes on. Uh, I know you're older now. Are you able to take a full time schedule? I was like, yeah, I've been waiting for this all my life. And, you know, and it was like, OK, they said, well, the idea we have for you is you're going to be teaming with this young guy uh, or whatever. And um, and you're kind of going to be his mentor, but y'all are, are tag team as well. And I was like, well, who is it? And they told me, and it was just this long pause to them, but I was laughing out loud and trying to cover the phone at the same time because what uh, Cedric and I both picked about, it just happened. And then uh, I think our first, the first time we ever tagged together was in 2011, and we went against, um, I want to say we went against Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole, or we went against... Um, it was some there were there were a pair of brothers, um, Lancelot and uh Harlem, Barado brothers. Barado brothers, sure. Yeah, yeah. And they they were a good team as well. And so like our first matches were against them and like we just clicked. Like we just clicked and, and our relationship just clicked. And it was like, you know, he was a younger guy, but he was so hungry in the sport that I never had to teach him any wrestling or he, he had all that down pat. I was more on the entertainment side as far as like interviews and how to carry yourself and, you know, in the crowd, you know, around people and behind the scenes type stuff is the only thing that I kind of could give him advice on the rest of the stuff he just had, you know? And so, uh, so that's how they brought us in. And we, because of that, we just became a lot closer and it kind of went to where it was mentor mentee to, you know, we got into a relationship to where it was kind of like big brother, little brother. And then after a while we, we were just friends, you know? And, um, and, and then after that, you know, we, we became like brothers. And then I, I watched him grow from adolescence to a, a married man uh, with a family now. And so it was, it was, I think it was all because of ring of honor because we heard of each other, you know, but we weren't stuck together uh, as a team until ring of honor uh, put us together as one. Well, that's a great, another great story of, of uh, man, almost like it was fate, I guess. Yeah, yeah, timing, man, is everything. Absolutely. I want to ask you about another group that you were involved in, which was uh, the Cabinet with Kenny yeah. King and Rhett Titus. And it started out almost as a, I don't know if it's comedy gimmick is the right word, but it wasn't something necessarily to be taken as a serious threat. And then there was a shift, uh, and you guys became the Rebellion and Shane Taylor was eventually added. What's the story behind the group coming together and then that shift to becoming uh, more of a, a serious group? Um, I, the cabinet was, was an idea that somebody uh, in the office had, you know, and uh, I think at the time uh, ANX was back together, but they weren't like number one contenders or whatever at the time and it was trying to figure out, you know, what it was next to do with them. And I wasn't in a tag team anymore. And I was, you know, singles and, you know, I wasn't main event status or anything. So I guess they were trying to figure out something to do, you know, uh, with me as well. And they was like, well, we could put them three together and make them something, you know? And so we, we did a couple of promos and all, and, and we were just kind of like, a, wanted to be a, a faction us three you know what i mean it's wanted to be a faction and we didn't have a name yet but we knew that we were we were already good friends i mean i'm great friends with kenny king great friends with with red titus 
or whatever. So we just thought it was cool that we were going to be a faction. Uh, but then like somebody in the office at that time had the idea of, you know, the cabinet thing. And when we heard it, we was like, okay, I get it. I get it. And we just kind of ran with it, you know, but then, you know, as time went on, we saw that, you know, it's not going to be taken serious, you know, and we kind of, after, for a while, we were part of the joke. We was like, okay, we'll go into it and all. But then there were some things that weren't funny that we was like, man, this thing really needs to be taken serious, you know? And, um, and that's kind of, you know, when the tables turned to where it's like, you got, you know, guys here that are great wrestlers that are pretty much the foundation. We've been here at ring of honor. Uh, and our, I guess our thing was we've been here and we're just trying to keep our jobs and stay relevant and hear these guys coming out of nowhere at the time and they're, and they're looked at as, as important, but their importance wasn't grown. We felt at ring of honor, you know, we felt they were, they became important somewhere else and they came to ring of honor and everybody that was at ring of honor, you know, just got pushed to the side because this guy that comes off the streets, you know, that made his name somewhere else is here now. And we're going to give him all the attention. So we wanted to rebel. It was like, no, we've been here. We're good. You just haven't given us our fair chance. You know, you put us in these, you know, uh, comedy uh, uh, situations to where to make people laugh. And that's what they're going to do. So when they see us, they see a joke. You know, we're not a joke. We're dominant athletes that can that can run the show and we can be top tier talent if given an opportunity. And that's where the rebellion formed from. That goes back to something we talked about earlier, which is a character's motivation, uh, an origin yeah. Yeah, because the rebellion exactly. were were positioned as heels, right? Then well, if you weren't watched, heels, but 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 there was a reason, right? Right. And, right. It all made perfect sense. What the motivation behind uh, why you guys called yourselves the rebellion and what your mindset was all made perfect sense. Yet you were still positioned as heels. So right, um, and that, I, I really feel heels. Um, I don't. That's that's a whole nother whole nother situation. That you can view somebody as a heel, but they're only viewed, viewed as a heel uh, in certain people's eyes until you paint the picture. Because, you know, you could take two people that have the same exact story, uh, but one can be a heel and one can be a baby. You know, and I'm like, well, what, make, what makes him a heel? What makes him a baby? You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just the way the commentators tell the story, you know? And, um, here you got Shane Taylor that that basically is frustrated with the way his contract or whatever is going at Ring of Honor. So he says, you know, I'm going to make my own promotions and I'm going to buy my own contract out, you know, and I'm going to be my own boss. And that's looked at as bad. And it's like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> like, that's, that's a smart move. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, why is that a heel? Why is that a bad guy that he's, that he's able to say, I'm good. I'm good enough to do this. I'm good to do that. And it was like, yeah, but he, just the way he went about it. Okay. What's the difference between what he did and, and uh, Ric Flair or, you know, somebody else did that was real cocky and brash about what they're doing. But this, this guy's the greatest time champion, but this guy's a bad guy, you know? And so I, I guess it just paints the picture of, of however you want to see it. But Ric Flair was a bad guy for years too, but he was also the greatest world champion, you know? So absolutely. Well, it's funny. Cause I had a conversation with Shane about that. Yeah. And, uh, I said to him, I was like, I don't get why you're a heel, man. Like, that's it. I mean, yeah. and that's, what, that's what the world is going to, man. The world is to where for years we've been told this is right. And this is wrong. This is wrong. And this is right. But then it's like, 
people start questioning why is this wrong you right. know and and that's and that's where there are some things that are right now some things that are wrong but then if you're naive to both sides of it you really can't make a, a conscious decision of what is right and wrong until you know both sides of the story you know and then when you hear both sides of the story and it's kind of like um i told you i was i need to write a book but if i talk about my parents you know i was raised up a single parent home and you know on my mom's side of the story you know i was raised up by my mom so to hear her side of the story you know my my dad didn't do this my dad didn't do that and we left and this happened or whatever like that so for years i grew up kind of you know hating my dad you know i didn't have a relationship with him he he lived you know in another state or whatever like that and all i heard was one side of the story and then you know uh years later uh we got in contact with one another whatever like that and i still really didn't I didn't I didn't pay too much attention to him because because I knew my mom's side of the story. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and he was the bad guy or, or whatever in my mom's side of the story. And, you know, things have changed then. But long story short, my wife talked me into reconnecting with my dad because we were married and she's real big on family uh, being together and all that stuff. And so after a lot of nagging, <laughs> I, re I reached out to him. And, and actually, uh, when I reached out to him, it was to come to a wrestling match that I was doing in New Jersey for Ring of Honor. And um, he came, and this was like 2000, man, this was like 2006, maybe 2005, 2000, 2004, around, maybe around 2004 era when I was really being picked, you know, called on a lot by Ring of Honor. Um, but yeah, uh, it was going to, is that the Restplex, Rexplex in New Jersey? And they were having like survival of the fittest on, or it, it was what it fair. It was one of the things that they had with bits kind of like the make it or break it. Like you get a chance at ring of honor. We have a good match. You know, we like you type thing. I forget what they called it or whatever, but yeah, um, that whole ride up there, I, I knew my dad was supposed to come. And as a grown man, I'm riding in a car from North Carolina to New Jersey, trying to prepare myself for the disappointment because I just knew that, you know, uh, I'm going to get this phone call of why he can't make the match. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, we get to the show and then my phone rings and I'm in the back and it's him. And I'm like, here we go. You know, and I'm getting ready to man up like whatever, like, yeah, okay. It's cause all good. You know, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's good. And I answer the phone and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And he was like, hey, we're out here, man. Uh, I got your aunt, your uncle, some nephews and all this. We just don't know where to, where to, where to park at. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> you know, like you're, you're here, you know? And so, uh, so we rekindled our relationship there. And like, ever since then, he's been a part of my life. And then this was before uh, my wife and I had children. And so he was automatically a part of my children's life, you know? And, and then to bring it all full circle, I was able to spend more time with him and we, we would talk on the phone like at least once a week. And here I am a grown man. I'm in my late twenties or whatever. And I feel like a little kid because I'm in a relationship, finally in a relationship relationship with my biological father. And then one day we were talking and he kind of told me his side of the story. And, and as a grown man being in relationships myself, I was able to look at his side of the story and my mom's side of the story and realized these were teenagers at the time that were doing the best they could 
that were young and dumb. There was no like, there was some rights on my dad's side and there was some rights on my mom's side. There was some wrongs on her side, some wrongs on his side. But the, the end of the day, the bottom of the line was, they were, these were two kids, 18, 19 years old, trying to make it in the world. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. With, with two different perspectives. And I grew up all of my life hating one side because I only knew one side of the story. But when I saw both sides and I was able to put it together, it was almost like, he's not a bad guy. This is what happened. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, uh, and, and I never would have gotten that opportunity, uh, you know, if I didn't open that door uh, for that. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is I never knew his side of the story until I, I began a relationship with him. And now if anybody's spoiled out of this whole situation, it's my children. Because now, you know, both my, my wife and our parents have split up. And so my children have four sets of grandparents. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's my, my, my wife's dad and his wife, and then my wife's mom and her, and her you know, her stepdad. And then it's my mom and, and my, my stepdad who passed away some years ago, but then my, my dad and his current, you know, wife or whatever. So it's kind of like at Christmas and, and birthdays, we just sit back and watch the show. I was going to say, man, you're you know, up and, holidays. But if, but if my wife didn't talk me into rekindling that relationship with my dad, you know, they would not be nowhere near in this, in the situation of, of being spoiled <laughs> to death like they are now. And, and um, like I said, that just goes to show of, uh, being able to, you know, put some things behind you, move forward and listen to both sides of the story, realizing that, you know, there really isn't a bad guy in this fight. There's just two sides to a story. And what side are you more, do you have more access to? And the one you have more access to is mostly the one you're going to lean on until you find out both sides of the story. Well, that's an awesome story, man. I, man, when I asked a question about the rebellion, I, I didn't know that I was going to get such an awesome story out of you, but that's what happens on these interviews. One thing leads to another, but uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Cause uh, yeah. man, I, I just hope people listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm really like, I love hearing stories like that. I'm glad you guys got to reconnect, you know, after all these years and yeah, you know, that's, that's just really, that's really cool. Anytime I have a, uh, anytime we have ring of honor in New York now, he, he's always there. He's always there, and like I, and um, they'll fly me in, and then when they fly me in, he he picks me up, and I stay with them, and you know, hang out with my family, and I come do the show, and after the show, I go with them, and then I make sure I catch my flight on the way home, you know, however things are working out, and it just it just always worked out that way. See, sometimes when our wives nag us, it's a uh, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, it turned out to be a a, a tremendous thing, not only for me, uh, but for the future of of my family as well. You know, my. My son not only knows who his dad is, but he knows who his grandfather is and he knows, you know, his history. And, and that's powerful, man. I think the most powerful thing a man can have is uh, information about who he is and where he came from. Well said. Well said. We're going to take another quick break here. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation we're having with Caprice. And we're going to continue that fascinating conversation right after this. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. 
Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Caprice Coleman. Caprice, I wanted to ask you about something that you started recently for ROHWrestling.com, a column called A Dose of Colemanism. Uh, it appears every Thursday on ROHWrestling.com. For those who may not be familiar with it, can you explain what a dose of Colemanism is and I guess sort of what your goals are uh, with this column? Because it's, it's unlike anything else that we have on the website right now. Oh, cool, man. Uh, a dose of Colemanism. Uh, I was given an opportunity to write a column. I don't know if it was you. I think you called me and asked me, you know, if I was willing to do it. And I couldn't say no. You know, you can't say no to opportunities uh, and all. And as most people know, I, I'm a minister uh, and all. And I've, I've pastored and, and all. And, um, and so ministry is part of my life. But I knew I can't take this and preach sermons you know what i'm saying because it it, it turns some people away but what i can do is paint a positive picture uh for people to help people look at life uh, in a different way uh at a time to where there's so much things going on in life and so a dose of comanism basically is when i walk through life uh you know situations happen to me and and i see those situations uh as kind of a way, I don't know, as God speaks to me to make other things in life more clear, you know? And so uh, to, to use an example, I could say something like, you know, my kids uh, might say, hey, dad, I want this for Christmas or, you know, whatever like that. And I'd be like, well, how do you want this? And you can't even take care of that. You know what I mean? You can't even take care of your room being clean, but you want me to add something to it. And then in my head, it, it pops in my head is, you know, you asking God for this, but you can't take care of what you got. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, it, it paints the picture of like, wow, you know, it took this thing to make, to make something else make sense, you know? And so communisms are those little jots that I get uh, in life that just makes other parts in life more clear to me, you know? And, and I have a lot of them and I see them all the time and, and I just call them communisms, you know? And, it could and basically what it is, is, is basically another way uh, to look at a situation um, and to in life to make the rest of your life make more sense, you know? And um, I, I don't know. I, I, I encourage everybody to, to read them because they come from the heart. They come from my experiences. And a lot of times it, it's stuff that happens today or tomorrow uh, or whatever. And, um, and I try to stay afresh of what's going on. And I'm I'm not pulling this from anywhere. It's my life experiences uh, for now, and and um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to write it, and I'm thankful for the people that read it and give me feedback on it, and um and I just my goal is hopefully to uh, spread you know a positive message uh, to people or 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 an inf or informative message to people to open their eyes uh, to life and and maybe to view it. Uh, in a different way. Well, it definitely is a positive message. And I think you do a great job of relating uh, stories in your life and how maybe there's a larger picture and how it can apply to others, other people's lives. And it's done in a way, to your earlier point, that's not preachy. It's just, right. you're not preaching to anyone. It's just, here's an experience. Here's how maybe it can relate to you. Here's something to think about. And uh, again, I really do recommend it. A Dose of Colemanism. It's uh, every Thursday, a new one appears on ROHWrestling.com. 
I think it's, uh, you know, they're not long. It's something you can probably read in five minutes or so, but I think uh, those five minutes are well spent and, and uh, you'll get something out of it. So I definitely, um, I definitely do recommend it. I, I want to ask you though about, um, because you mentioned preaching and I, I think most of our fans do know that you are an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. Do the guys in the back or girls, does, does anyone ever come up to you for, I don't know, spiritual guidance or any questions about maybe religion or something they're going through. Do people come to you like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. A, a lot. Um, you know, it, and I think it's because, you know, and not that I'm some holy roller or whatever like that is my goal in life is always to be approachable, you know? And so I, I try to be an approachable person. So yeah, every once in a while, we used to have like a prayer group that, you know, before the matches, before the show start, we were all kind of getting a huddle and pray uh, or whatever like that. And then, you know, every once in a while, I, somebody would come up to me and talk and they say, hey, you know, I got this question and whatever like that. But it, um, I guess they would come to me when it's more of a, a spiritual, I, I guess, thing to them, you know, or, or advice thing. But then I'm not just looked at as a spiritual guy. I'm almost like I'm an older guy, period. And so I, I get questions from that aspect and, and also like the marriage aspect and and a relationship aspect and, and wrestling aspect and just just life in general, you know, and um, and I don't I don't want to look at myself as, you know, come to me. I have the answers and or whatever like that is just I can just give you from my life experience and and through the grace of God, you know, sometimes I've experienced things. Uh, that I realized that I might not have realized at the moment. Um, but then I'm realizing now that it wasn't just for me. Uh, sometimes you're brought through something to where when somebody else is going through the exact same thing, you can have an example of how you came out of it, you know, to encourage somebody else, how they can go through the same situation and, and come out of it as well. Being a man of faith and being in the pro wrestling business I imagine at times could be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been an angle that you were asked to do or something you were asked to say that you had to turn down because of your faith and you felt like it was going to, going to uh, I don't know, it just go against your beliefs or, or your yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, a lot of my character, I feel, um, with Caprice Coleman in itself, I, I guess, honestly, looking back, I've kind of held myself back um, in some situations because, you know, I, w- I have went to other places and have given them my idea of who I am. And they would turn around and say what they can do with that. And and when you're with a very strong entertainment um, organization, the first thing they hear is, you know, well, we could take you and then turn you around and you judge everybody and you do this and you do that. And, and I'm like, no, that's, I'm a, I'm real about this thing. I'm not, this is not a gimmick. They're like, yeah, but it'll really make money if we do this and you do that and do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'll come with another idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and, and so, uh, but then there is a story that I had, uh, end of a wild side where I was asked to go into a feud with somebody that was a uh, professed Satan worshiper or whatever like that. And they was like, do you mind? I was like, no, I don't mind. You know, like he's, he's a person and I'm a person, you know, we just believe different things. Um, 
but it showed me that I guess, you know, the creative teams or whatever like that, there are some situations they creatively wouldn't put me in and they didn't know if I wanted to be in or whatever like that. But I had to let them know that, you know, Hey, I'm a wrestler. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do my job. And if there's something that I don't want to say, I can, I can find there's, there are ways to say or do what's needed to be done without doing it uh, in an offensive or, or vulgar or, or whatever way. That's why a lot of people, you know, they, they lean on profanity, but there's a lot of ways to get your point across without cussing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I, I've always, uh, I felt with whatever I was given, I've always been, came up with a way to get the same measures across. However, I also feel that writers would also steer away from uh, things that they, they think might be offensive to me. So it, it kind of put me in my own corner uh to paint a picture you know and um and i guess i mean i kind of held myself back and, I, and I, they only saw me as a certain way you know and, and the only way that makes sense to me is uh, for years uh i grew up watching superman uh christopher reeves and and for years i just thought christopher reeves was superman and i remember turning on the tv one day and i saw a movie that was just playing on tv and christopher reeves was in it and I sat there and watched that whole movie thinking this is the most boring Superman I've ever seen in my life <laughs> because I didn't realize that he actually played other roles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's kind of the role that, you know, Caprice Coleman, uh, I think for years had been put into the, where they're like, well, he's a preacher and he's a real one. So we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. Which, you know, in hindsight, it might've, you know, uh, held back my career a little bit, but it is what it is. Well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the perception of what a religious character would have to be. I guess there is a, a stereotype yeah. that it's always a heel and because they're always a charlatan or right. genuine, and it's never really portrayed from a babyface standpoint. I think the only example I can think of, and it wasn't really his gimmick, was you know when Shawn Michaels was a, came out as a born-again Christian, uh, and was a baby face that was sometimes brought up in storyline. So it wasn't, he wasn't disingenuous and it wasn't played for heat. If you remember, he had the feud with uh, God was Vince McMahon against yeah. God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean was obviously Sean and God were the baby faces in that yeah. one. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, we from brother love to uh, you know, when Devon Dudley was doing yeah. Reverend Devon and taking money out of the collection plate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I guess it's always been, you know, sort of a, uh, hypocritical thing. The yeah. religious person is painted as a hypocrite and, and a charlatan. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the way it is. And, you know, and I look at my life and, and the older I get, the less I want to paint myself as a perfect person. Um, but I, but I am a man of faith. I, I do believe uh, in what I believe in and I don't want to um, add to uh, the weight of the, the hip, the hypocrite uh, mask that a lot of people put on the whole religion um, sector, you know, because I, I do believe in it. And, and I also know that there are a lot of, you know, fake things out there, but I also believe it all boils down to, you know, personal relationship um, and, and to add to um, the, the disappointment of it, 
is not doing anybody a, a good service, you know, especially when I feel souls are at stake, you know. And so with Ring of Honor, one thing Ring of Honor has always promised me is they said they would never um, contaminate my, you know, character to a point to where it's like that. And even with the pulpit, with me being a bad guy and a rebellion, a bad guy, there was a way that I was able to be that person in a way that people understood who I was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so it, it was, there was a way to do it. And so I always feel like I could be the good guy or I could be the bad guy. There's just ways to do it, you know, and it's just whether the creative team is, you know, creative enough or patient enough to, to go about things a certain way. And I understand all of it. So I really can't, you know, get mad or, or this and that because the bottom line is entertaining fans and, and fans get simple stuff. You know, and some of the things that have proven to work, you know, you can just, you know, recycle it and it works again. So when you're getting pushed with something else that you're not sure of and it's always worked a certain way. And then in a world that a lot of things are easily offensive or you kind of shy away from or you shouldn't talk about because then you're, you know, Bible beaten or whatever like that. It's a touchy situation. It's a touchy subject. And so I get it. It definitely is. Let me ask you one more question before we get to our big uh, 10 question segment. And this is just your in-ring career. Uh, you're a commentator now for the most part, but you've never officially said that you're not wrestling anymore. Uh, where does your in-ring career stand at this point? Do you want to, uh, you want to wind it up uh, or, or where do you see it at this point? Well, I stay in shape, man. And even before this uh, podcast, man, I, I called, I told my wife, I didn't call my wife, I live with her. I told my wife, I said, hey, pick me up at Walmart in an hour. And she was like, Walmart? And I was like, yeah. She was like, that's such and such miles away. I said, yeah, I think I'm going to run to Walmart. And so I ran Walmart six and a half miles or six and a quarter mile uh, away from our house. And I just ran to Walmart and I got there in an hour. So I ran like six miles in an hour. <laughs> and uh, my wife. all the shame, Caprice. Yeah. Say what? You're putting us all to shame. Well, I mean, I didn't know. I, I just I actually, that's a whole other story that we don't have time for, but I just learned how to run during the pandemic. I never was a runner or anything like that. You know, I've always did hit cardio. And during the pandemic, you know, my neighbor was a runner and I would always see him running and he would always see me working out. Long story short, he was, he got out of shape enough to where he was like, if you want to learn how to run, I can teach you. And I was like, well, if you want to get in shape, I can show you. <laughs> And so uh, during the pandemic, I learned how to run and um, and now I like it and I work out. So I'm in great shape. I stay in shape for wrestling, um, but I love where I'm at and I feel versatility is a card that I have in Ring of Honor uh, that I like to, pay, to play because uh, I feel like the more I'm capable of doing, you know, uh, the more I could stay around, you know, because I, I could wrestle, I could commentate, I could manage, I could produce, I can create talent. I could, you know, I can do whatever is need, needed to be done uh, because I love this sport and I love so many parts of this sport to where learning other parts of the sport is it, fun to me, you know, and even with commentary, you know, if you would have told me five years ago that I was going to be, you know, part of the greatest quote unquote commentary team that's out today, I don't know what I would have said because I would have thought that five years from now I'll be headlining, you know, the main event or you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or whatever like that, but you just never know how life is going to play itself out. And so what I've learned to do is, is be ready for whatever. 
So no, I'm not going to say I'm retired. I still wrestle now. I still have belts in other countries now, you know, and, um, and, and I would love to, to, to still wrestle in ring of honor. However, I love what I'm doing now, you know, and, and I, and I feel there's more longevity, you know, in, in the role that I play now, uh, I'm married with children. I'm 43 years old. And so longevity is, is something that, that I have to look at, you know, however, uh, there's longevity in, in fitness as well. And so I, I keep my body in a way to where, you know, if they tell me, Hey, 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 Clark Kent, you know, time to go in the phone booth. I'm ready to to do it. (laughs) 43 going on 30 Caprice. It's uh, I'll take it, man. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I, I feel that, you know, um, people, people say, hi, why do you look so young and all this stuff? I don't know, cosmetic, you know, whatever, whatever. However, I do feel that the fountain of youth uh, is spirituality, health and fitness. You know, if you have a good, whatever your faith is, a good faith base, because a faith base, what that does for me is there's so many things that happen in life that we have no control over that you just have to give to somebody else. You know, with my faith, I can give to somebody else to where in another situation, with a person that might not have a, a grounding in something, they're carrying all of that weight and it's impossible. And it ages you fast and it makes you, and it stresses your body out. It stresses your mind out because there are things that you literally can't handle that we're trying to handle or trying to find an answer for when, if you don't have an outlet or somewhere to rest that weight at, it can weigh you down. Also, you know, fitness wise, staying in shape, you know, when, when gyms were open, you know, I, I work out at the YMCA and I see a lot of these guys, man, in their sixties and seventies in phenomenal condition that I would wish I could look like when I get that age, you know, and, and I've learned that these are guys that they some of them started working out when they got older and the doctor told them they had to, but then there's some that you can tell they just never quit working out. And I realized that, you know, if I keep my body in shape, unless I just stop working out, you can't help but get older, but you can help how you age. You know, and then the health part of it is, you know, I love working out inside out, you know, it's, it's trying to put healthy stuff out there. It's putting in the good fuel, you know, not the unleaded, you know, the, the regular unleaded or whatever like that. You know, I try to put premium fuel in as best as I can, you know, so I can always run at an optimum, you know, performance level. And so uh, spirituality, health and fitness all together, I, I guess I found to be the fountain of youth. Well, you're clearly doing something right. That's for sure. I wanted to ask you, though, you mentioned a couple of times about this uh, title that you hold. What is it? The King of the Ladders? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, King is that, of the is that like a ladder match thing or what is that? It is. Yeah. It's the only King of the Ladder title in the world. King of the Ladders title in the world uh, is held by uh, Qatar Pro Wrestling uh, out in Qatar. And um, I'm three time King of the Ladders champion or whatever and basically it's, it's part of that overseas tour that i was part of you know because of kuwait and um and our last in our last tour which was in right before right before uh the last show of ring of honor las vegas is was, was like at the end of february and beginning of march um we had a show in qatar again where i was able to regain the uh king of ladders championship uh or whatever and um yeah, it was a, a few big – P.J. Black was in that match. Uh, Mill Mortise was in that match. Uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. 
Uh, he was in that match. Uh, oh, this is a real thing. This isn't Jabroni's yeah. in this. This is. No, real. Was, I wish I had a list of names because I know I'm leaving out like some great names, but they, it was it was six people in the match, and and um, I was able to you know I guess come out with a win I guess and but yeah it was uh, it's a big deal and uh, it was a sold out crowd in one of their soccer stadiums, you know so it was over six thousand people. <laughs> in attendance and uh, pay-per-view and everything. So it was, it was a, it's a great accomplishment that I was, you know, able to be part of, man. And um, I don't know, man, it's just, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't say no, you know, when somebody asks me to do something, I say, yeah, you know, and, and even when like, when you ask me to do this podcast, I'm like, yeah, when you ask me to write a story, yeah. You know, ask me, I, I say, yeah, because, you know, there's so many people that their life was in a stagnant place because they, they telling the wrong people they're telling the wrong people no <laughs> you know what i mean and and a lot of times we ask people we ask you know god or ask for life to give us another chance and the chance to knock at the door we're like that's not a chance i wanted i'll wait on the next one and that chance passes you by you know so i try my best not to say no and and to say yes to as much things as i can and i feel that you know con- with them conjoined or either one of them can catapult you into your next level. Well, good advice. I call it a dose of Colemanism. I think <laughs> he calls it a dose of Colemanism, but I think it's uh, I think you get the point. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna squeeze in our final break, and then when we come back, it's ten questions with Caprice Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight we'll be discussing another very important topic: wrestling in the COVID nineteen era phone rang and it was someone from uh, Ring of Honor office and they said, look, this is bigger than wrestling. This is a pandemic. Nobody knew exactly what coronavirus was. Ring of Honor was one of the only companies to completely shut down and say no. If there is a virus out there that you can catch just by being within six feet of somebody, imagine wrestling somebody. You're going to be a lot closer than six feet. I have huge, huge fears. I'm scared S-less, to be perfectly frank. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ringofhonor. We are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Caprice Coleman. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've tremendously enjoyed it. Uh, well, we hope Caprice will enjoy this part. It's 10 questions. Caprice, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right. Question number one. What's something on your bucket list? Oh, man. I want to... I was getting ready to say go to Japan, but I did that this last year. Man, uh, that yeah, I want to hold a singles title in Ring of Honor. Okay, well maybe after that, Pure Champion is crowned. I well, mean, we'll see. You've had a front row seat for the Pure Title tournament, so man, you you out at all these guys. Here's That's- the thing: what people don't realize is that with me staying active or whatever, I have a front row seat to scout everybody in Ring of Honor. I know everybody's strengths. I, I know everybody's weaknesses. I know how to build them up, and I know how to tear them down. That's the next question. Oh, that's the <laughs> right I think. Hope we didn't give it away. Uh, question number two: If you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh wow! 
Muhammad Ali. Oh, that's a great one. And and the reason why no pun intended, that's a great one. Yeah, no, no, the reason why I say that is, you know, Muhammad Ali is called the greatest of all times, but he was the greatest of all time after his time. You know, people hated him when he was doing what he was what he was doing. You know, it wasn't until after everything came to play that where they realized, man, this guy was the greatest of all times. You know, and so I would love to pick his brain about how he felt making the stands he was making that was extremely unpopular at the time um, that cost him a lot at the time. However, he stayed true to what, you know, he believed uh, or whatever and was able to overcome something to where his legacy never uh, hit his, his top until people until it was over, until his part of it was over. And then people look back at his career and was like, man, he was the greatest of all time. You ever you see know, the documentary? You, you ever see the documentary on him with uh, Dick Cavett? Uh, I, I'm, I've seen a lot. I've, I've studied him so much. I, I probably have, but I don't want to lie because Dick Cavett is not a name that just popped into my head when you okay. said it. If you haven't, I highly recommend it, and it really does show uh, Ali and in and all the uh, the stages of his life and his yeah. career. How back in the day, you know, when Cassius Clay first yeah. met Muhammad Ali, how unpopular that was. And yeah how he was treated even his parents like disowned him for a while you know and it was a big religious i get it because it was a big you know muslim religion thing and at the time and you know nation of islam was looked at a certain way and all that so yeah i, I would have a lot to pick his brain about i really would so yeah muhammad ali <laughs> i'd love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation <laughs> all right question number three what scares you failure hmm uh but i have i have to get that's that's something i battle every day because here's the thing um a lot of people's successes are on the other side of a failure you know what i mean and so if your fear is failure then that can keep you from going uh to your next level of success and so what i've done with that fear of failure is i try not to fail which causes me to try my best at whatever i do i give my best at it you know, and if I fail, it's something that's out of my hands and not because I didn't give my best at it. And if I fail and I gave my best at it, then I know it's not for me. Question four. I know you have a musical background. So uh, what's the first concert that you attended? Do you, do you recall what the first concert was? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it was a gospel concert. Uh I really don't know. I honestly I don't know. I don't know. All right, well, let me ask you another another musical question. Question five, uh, and I know you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but just, you know, what's your opinion? Who has the best entrance music in Ring of Honor today? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the best entrance in Ring of Honor probably have to be Dalton Castle just because he put so much work in it. Uh, and all uh, his entrance will probably be one of the best right now. His overall presentation, but I guess if I said, what's the best music? Oh, music? Yeah. Oh, uh, Caprice Coleman's theme song. He wrote it himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like, I like, I like uh, my music. I like because it, it was given to me as a beat, and I asked him if I could put lyrics to it. They told me I could, so I got one of my friends. 
and uh, he's a rapper, and, and we just laid it down together, and he wrote the uh, the verses, and I wrote the hook, and we made a video, and Ring of Bonos let, let us present it, but I'm not the only one that, that, that has done that, because Rocky Romero, uh, he, he does his own theme music, and also Joe Hendry, and so anybody that, that is able uh, to use their own entrance music, I'm a fan of. So in that aspect, I would have to go with Joe Hendry um, because Joe Hendry is a great artist. He's a great musical artist. Uh, and I know his theme song is kind of like something that people can just grab a hold of, but he has some really good stuff. So I have to give him, uh, he has a great, great interest music, uh, Rocky Romero, just because he wrote his own song. Um, PJ Black has a new theme song that was written by Michael Tarver. And Michael Tarver, of course, was one of NXT's uh, guys. Uh, he was uh, WWE for a while, but he's also uh, a musician. He raps. And um, if you listen to PJ, PJ's Black new song, he wrote that one. Uh, and he, he's part of that song. It's kind of like a heavy heavy metal rap uh, mix with like an African beat to it. It's just so dope, man. And so um, I guess my answer would be... Um, music that's created from the artist itself okay all right fair enough question number six this is a yes or no question is it acceptable for a caucasian man to carry a hair pick in his back pocket oh uh, we talk about you <laughs> i i would be that guy yeah it, it, it's uh it's it's not frowned upon it's just <laughs> It's just different, and when you see it, you're like, "Hello, what you doing with that, man?" You know, <laughs> you you in the locker room, and you see, you know, all your brothers, and neither one of us have a pick. And there's a guy in his back pocket; he's got an afro pick. I'm like, "What are you? First of all, where'd you get it from? <laughs> Second of all, what are you doing with it? And third of all, how did you come to realize that that was the best comb for your head?" <laughs> Well, you know, when, when you have curly hair, uh, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you and, and Kenny King uh, uh, pulling me aside. and, and saying, oh, it, it, Here's my question for you then. Yeah. Uh, in these questions, have you ever, when you got your uh, hair picked, tried to comb out an afro from your hair? Yes or no question? Uh, that's a uh, comb out an afro? No, no. Okay. But I will tell you this. If, if I let my hair go, uh -huh. I would have an afro. I believe it. I believe it. Cause Ricky Rickabon is kind of the same way. If he let his hair go, it kind yeah. of gets curly. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw what he did during quarantine. I would have yeah. <laughs> similar, similar hair. I, when I was younger, I used to let it go out a little bit more. But yeah, that's when I, you know, decided that the, you know, the pick is something I need to have. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize yeah. it was visible yeah. in my back pocket. You and Kenny were the first two that ever called me out on it. Yeah, cause you see it. You you <laughs> see it. You know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it stood out. Okay. <laughs> All right, I can't believe that was one of your questions. That can't be your question you asked everybody. No, I tailored these <laughs> questions uh, for the for the guy. There's a lot I ask, a lot of similar questions, but yeah, I always try to throw in a couple that yeah. are specific to the guest. And uh, yeah, that was one I had to, had to throw in. There. That was a custom made question. That was custom made for you. All right, and me, I suppose. All right, question number seven. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Mm, my history. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get deep, but you know, a, a lot of the issues, um, with black America today is the fact that our history has been taken away from us. 
you know, if you ask, uh, you know, um, I, I had a conversation with a friend one time and it, it, I, I would keep his name nameless. Um, but he was like, you know, what's the big deal? We all came to America and, you know, my parents, my great, great grandfather came to America and he was poor and all he had was uh, his carpentry and he made it and he made a great deal. And I told him, I said, he made a great deal because he knew who he was. He came from another country, but he knew he was a carpenter. You, you know what I'm saying? And and he came and he, he tried to get a job as a carpenter and work as a carpenter or work, you know, as whatever he was. I said, we were brought to this country and it didn't matter what we did beforehand or the language that we spoke and we were told what to do. So whatever our gifts were to start with, it doesn't matter and we will never know because that part of our history was wiped away. You know what I mean? And and so to find out more of my history, you know, exactly where I came from and what my family did then or, or what, what is prevalent in my family, you know, uh, things that have happened in my family. What is my family tree past my, you know, uh, grandfather? You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, things sure. like that, and not just uh, in history, but in my history, in the history period, because, you know, we all didn't come from the same part of Africa. You, you know what I mean? And uh, my 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 forefather has a story, and I guess my foremother has a story, you know, as well, that all comes into play um, with my history. All right, question number eight is a lot less deep. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. You ask these questions. I got to give my answer. Some of these questions are supposed to be deep and some of them are supposed to be silly. Question number eight is of the silly variety. Are you a dog person, a cat person, uh, both or neither? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not much of an animal person. Um, I've had a few dogs. Uh, I had some cats when I was younger. I didn't hate either or, you know, I have friends that have, that have both. Um, my wife and I picked was like, well, we can't afford pets right now because our children, my son is 16 going on 27 with his appetite, you know, and, and, uh, and so we just, we just never, uh, got into the pets thing. We had a dog at one time. Um, but it was, we had small children at the time as well. So that didn't work out as good as it, as it should have, you know, and then, like I said, we were living at a place to where we couldn't have pets. And also, I guess I would say uh, I don't hate either or disapprove of either, but I don't have any one of them either. Okay. So basically what you're saying is you have kids, you don't need pets. That's wrong because my <laughs> kids aren't my pets. You know what I'm saying? It's just I, I, I focus on them. You know what I'm saying? I got you. I got you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. I think if we had a dog, that would be cool. But uh I get it. Your son eats a lot and you, and, uh, and yeah. you don't want to have to pay for, you know, dog food for for dogs and that. I feel like I feel like this is gonna come back and bite me somehow. <laughs> like there's gonna be some like dog activists that are like <laughs> children or I don't know. We're like <laughs> uh question number nine. Which actor would play you in a movie of your life? Who would star in the Caprice Coleman story? You know, uh man, I hate to make all of these deep, you know, but for a long time I was like, man, if, if I if I ever had uh a movie made after me, I, I would want Chadwick Boseman to play it because him and I have like a similar build, a similar look, you know, a lot of similar characteristics. And I just really believe he, he would knock it out the ballpark, you know. Uh, so I, I would have to say, you know, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. 
You know, I thought you were going to say is uh, because, you know, you drafted yourself in the draft of honor that we did. Yeah. The ROH all-time draft of honor. Yeah. Uh, I asked you who has the best entrance music. You said you do because uh, you created uh-huh. it. I thought for sure you were going to say you wanted to star in the Caprice Coleman story. Uh, I, can't, I can't do that. And, <laughs> and here's the thing, man. I, I've learned that if you don't there's, – there's a part of Colemanism is believing in yourself self enough to bet on yourself, That's you right. know. And and um and so I know it comes across as cocky and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, if you believe if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. But there's a limit to it to where it could be over the cutting where nobody wants to deal with you uh, or whatever like that. But then there's a confidence that if you don't have people will walk over you. Oh, for sure. And I'm just messing with you, you know. That. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just hey, you got me on here and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is the the final question. We have come to question number ten. Okay. Who's the first person in Ring of Honor that comes to mind when I say the words Jive Turkey? Who do you, you first you said that one up too? I did. I tell you, man, I like to customize it. So who who would be a Jive Turkey? That who when I say when I when you look at the ROH locker room and I say I say Caprice Jive Turkey, what who's whose face pops into your head? Oh man, uh, the first person pops in my head would have to be. Uh, Brian Johnson. I knew you were going to say that. I did. I knew it was going to be Brian Johnson. He's a sucker jive time turkey. You feel what I'm saying? It don't get no lower than that. You could be a jive turkey, or you could be a sucker jive turkey, or you could be a jive time turkey. But if you a sucker jive time turkey, you have reached the top echelon of turkeyism. You hear what I'm saying? And that's where he stands. I can't disagree with you. And he's going to, I can't wait till he hears this. And he will. Yeah, yeah. And I can't wait to hear what his response would be. Well, Caprice, before I let you go, uh, can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Um, Caprice Coleman on Twitter, Caprice Coleman uh, Instagram, uh, <laughs> Caprice Coleman on TikTok too. I'm, 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 I haven't got a grasp of the TikTok thing yet. Uh, Caprice Coleman, I have a fan page on Facebook as well. So I'm Caprice Coleman everywhere. So, I, so it's, at, it's at Caprice Coleman on yeah. everything. Yep, at Caprice Coleman pretty much on everything. And you, you can see me. I'm hard to miss. Hard to miss and easy to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for that. <laughs> All right. And also, I want to let everybody know, again, a dose of Colemanism. Caprice's column runs every Thursday on ROHWrestling.com. Strongly recommend it. We all need a dose of Colemanism and positivity in our life. Caprice, thanks so much for your time today. Man, you were incredibly generous and uh, always love talking with you. Hey, man, I appreciate the time. Uh, if you have me back, I would love to be back. Oh, well, I'll, I'll definitely take you up on that. So thanks again. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. This is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, everyone. And let's all be ROH strong. Uh, you are listening to ROH strong, and uh, you know, thank you very much. And uh, we, we thank you. <laughs>